business success usually comes to those who are too busy to be looking for it. Join RVK for the award-winning RV on Business Show every Tuesday at 12 midday. It's not about thinking out of the box. There is no box. Only on 101.9 High FM. Welcome to 101.9 High FM. It is four minutes past 12. Thank you so much for joining us. And I am so happy to hear that the COVID report has been dropped because as quickly as it came, it seems that it's disappeared. I was just chatting to some colleagues this morning and all of a sudden life has gone back to what it was like pre-COVID over here in, in the Middle East and, and, and most parts of Europe. Um, I'm not quite certain exactly how the day-to-day -day operations in South Africa work, but you do need to wear a mask here and there. But it's just phenomenal how things have really just returned to normal. And just to show the resilience that people have just got on with it and got back on their feet. But coming back to the topic of today, obviously finance, investing, and one of the challenges to investing in South Africa, and I suppose anywhere in the world, is complexity. People want to invest but it's often like standing up against a tall building where you just put your head back and the more you look up, the more daunting it becomes until the point where you just turn around and you walk away. Nodding his head in the background there is Dr. Thomas Brennan from Frank. Um, Thomas, thanks so much for joining us. No, thanks so much, Avi. It's great to be, um, it's great to be on the, the call with you. And I, I recall actually we met three years ago when we had just started out. Wow. And uh, it's been what a journey it's been for us. But yeah, really looking forward to our conversation today. Remind me, what was your main investment platform at that stage when you started? So I think Easy Equities has, you know, maintained their position as the market leaders in many ways. Obviously, as you know, Easy Equities is a way of investing in equities, so into the stock market. And they've done a tremendous job, I think. And most importantly, about reducing the barriers of entry in the sense that they have partial share ownership. So for people that can't effectively afford to buy a whole share, people can invest small amounts of money and effectively own part of a share. Uh, we obviously have tried to simplify investing even further. We just have uh, an ETF, so an index tracking ETF available on the platform on Frank, as well as a money market fund. So effectively two different asset classes uh, with the understanding that you know equity isn't for everybody. You know, if you're wanting to set up an emergency fund, then you actually should be invested in something that has a lower risk profile and a money market fund is ideal in the sense that you can access the money when you need it and there are no penalties for doing so. So the the share option, is it still available on Frank? It is still available on Frank and we're hoping later in the year to be able to offer an offshore equity tracker as well. We've spoken to a lot of our users and, you know, the South African economy, unfortunately, has largely been kind of moving sideways uh, as much as South Africans hope for, you know, for growth. And that can be frustrating if you're looking to grow your investments, right? So whereas, you know, other economies around the world and the, the U.S. in particular has had strong growth in the equity market. But I think even they, you know, with the recent sort of um, starting recession, if you will, based on the inflation data that they've seen, have, you know, a lot of that growth has sort of cooled off. But I still think being able to offer our investors the opportunity of having kind of local investments as well as offshore investments 
uh, is a very attractive proposition. I agree with you there. I mean, as we often say is that before COVID arrived, the South African economy was already in ICU. It had taken up one of those very important beds that uh, that we needed. And all of a sudden, COVID came and the economy should have collapsed. We should have had massive unemployment, which we do, but, you know, exponentially greater than it is. And thank God people were able to adapt. I must say the government did come to the party in certain ways and really helped it to get through. But let's take a quick break now. When we come back, let's start drilling down a little bit. I just want to quickly go through how one goes onto your, your app. I've been through it. I love your academy, by the way. That was done by a financial advisor. It wasn't done by somebody who's never sat in front of a client. I love the process and the way you're going through. Let's take a quick break. We'll be back with you in a moment. This is RV on Business. Thomas, let's go back to your your app. It's simple. It's easy to use. Almost got this childish um, simplicity about it without being aggressive in the way that there's massive buildings and showing you how much money you've made, rather guiding you through the process. I just want to go to your academy for one moment, because lesson one is something that I speak about all the time, the difference between savings and investing. And that is really the difference between equities and money market. So maybe just take us through that a little bit. And, um, you know, let's leave it at that once you've explained it. Sure. So thanks very much. Uh, we, we, as, as you mentioned, you know, we did spend a lot of time trying to really craft the academy. And, you know, I was really surprised uh, that, you know, the rates of financial literacy in South Africa, unfortunately, are very low. Uh, it's not part of the primary education system, nor the secondary. You know, life orientation does not look at financial literacy. So we really feel like we have a very big uh, responsibility to help everyday South Africans understand more about money. And as you rightly said, the starting point is the difference between saving and investing. And I think for us, you know, the way we see it, saving is the act of not spending. So that's basically, you know, a portion of your budget you're just not consuming on a monthly basis. So saving is not spending in my book, whereas investing is doing something with your money. And it's, it's an active uh, process. So leaving money in your bank account is for me uh, saving, but it's also, you must understand, your money is very often not doing anything if you just leave it in your bank account. Even if you put in a savings account with a bank, the reality is very often, you're not gonna get an interest rate which is gonna beat inflation. And that's fundamental. And what inflation, as people now know, is the growing cost of living. So currently this year, we look like inflation is going to really top out at about 7%, which is very high. Typically, the money market returns 2% percentage points above inflation. So you typically can see um, a real return on your money. And that means that your money is growing month on month. So, you know, where we want people to realize is that saving is, is not investing. It's not spending. But you, to actually become an investor, it's important that you do something with those savings. So then what are your options of what you can invest into? You know, putting it into the money market fund is an investment in uh, cash and bonds effectively. You know, you are lending money to large organizations like banks and governments, and they will pay you interest for the money that you effectively lend them. The next obviously is, uh, is equity, and that's buying shares in the stock market and publicly traded companies. 
but people may also be familiar with investing in property, right? So that's buying a flat in which you can rent it out to other people. And maybe the, you know, the value of that property is going to go up over time. So investing in our books is really the, the active process of doing something with your savings. And I think that's really important for people to understand. Does it not boil down to the simple fact that people need to be educated? And I don't say that with any sense of malice, and neither do I say that with a sense of foreboding, is that one needs to put themselves in an environment where one can access the information. Frank is one of those. It's on your phone, you download it, you're sitting on a taxi, sitting on a train, you're sitting in your lunch break, read the lessons, they're there. The videos are there. And not only that, you can email someone and get an answer. So that's what I mean by education. When you're sitting on the, you know, on the car, in the car driving home, as much as we love to relax with music or, I don't know, something lighthearted, tune in to the business shows. Today, you've got incredible presenters that don't talk half a in English, that don't talk in a terminology we don't understand. They speak in colloquial English. And just get yourself involved so that you understand what's going on. Yeah. But, Thomas, let's go down to the um, to the the, the, so the press release that was sent to me, which I found absolutely fascinating. So what Frank does is that you guys have now big data. You have information that's coming in, and now you're segmenting it. And we're seeing two interesting things that are coming through. Number one, the, the big investors or the majority of your investors by a slight margin are ladies. And number two is that we know that the majority of investors in South Af- in, in Africa are men by a massive margin. So let's maybe just break it down. Why is it important that women invest? If we're looking at a family unit, do we really care which side of the partnership invests? Well, I think what's interesting is just to pause on your question, I think the first thing is to, to say, like, why haven't women been investing? And I think to one degree, you know, very much within a family unit, you know, there would be uh, a sharing of responsibilities between the, the, you know, the husband and the wife. And, you know, very often the, the money matters, if you will, were left in the, the, the husband's domain. What I think is also interesting, though, is how the market adapted to that. So uh, all of the marketing messaging, you know, financial advisors, they tended to overlook kind of women as potential clients. And that's not, you know, and as a result, they kind of have a blind spot. I think to some degree that there are, you know, young women who are not married yet, who are starting their careers, looking to do something with their money, but all of the kind of the material, all of the access points are not really focused on them as potential clients. So we see it as a tremendous opportunity. And one thing which I think has also come out of our data is we see that women tend to be um, slightly more conservative, more risk averse when it comes to investing. And as we touched upon earlier, you know, Frank is a simple investment platform in the sense that we want people to invest for the long term. We're not a trading platform. You know, we're not uh, a casino in some ways that people are trying to kind of get rich quick. And unfortunately, you see, you see a lot of bias, you know, you see a lot of guys who are willing to take more risk, trying to kind of, you know, get rich quick and like double their money very quickly. So all of the Bitcoin, you know, all of the crypto trading platforms, all of the, the trading platforms, the equity trading platforms tend to have more male investors, unsurprisingly. 
Whereas what we offer is sort of an index tracking ETF. You know, you're effectively buying the market. You're buying into a strategy, which is a risk strategy. So how much cash and equity is right for you and your ambitions? What are your goals? You know, are you wanting to buy a house? Are you wanting to save for retirement? Whatever the case may be. And so our female investors tend to respond better to that. You know, they go through our onboarding process. They identify what they want to achieve. We help them understand why we recommend a certain strategy. And then they are very consistent. They stick with their goals and they put money away and they support each other in doing so. So I think that's a short answer to a very deep question, but hopefully it gives you some insight uh, as to the opportunity that we saw in trying to attract female investors onto, onto Frank. Now, Tom, it's a reason why the question is so much more relevant in South Africa, is that we know the burden of responsibility of the household in South Africa falls mainly squarely on the shoulders of ladies. So, you know, does that imply that in a way, ladies are more savvy investors than men? Before you answer that question, let's listen to Craig. Let's take a quick ad break, mull that one over, and I'll be back with you in a moment. This is RV on Business. Thomas Brennan's with us in studio from Frank. Thomas, I left you with a bit of a curveball there before the ad break. Are women more savvy investors than men? I thought about it and I, I've wanted to share some interesting insights and it is answering your question, but in a slightly different way. So there's evidence to show that, you know, men feel more pressure for being smart with money. And that increased pressure, I think, is a, a driver, a motivator to take more risks because you want to be seen to be doing well, right? And that's making good investment decisions and being more astute. So I actually think intrinsically, there's, um, there's a lot of similarities between men and women. But obviously, by having more pressure on trying to be seen to be smart with money is driving men to be more risky. I think women, when it comes to money, they, there is some sort of evidence to suggest that they want to be, have some stable nest egg, right? Obviously, if they're thinking about having kids in their future, you know, maybe the family situation is unstable or they just want to have that backup in the back of their mind to know that, you know, if, if things really, you know, if, if there was an emergency and they really need to tap into the money, that they could be able to support themselves in that instance. So I actually think that there's just drivers that are pushing men to be a little bit more risky and drivers pushing women to be a little bit more conservative. And unfortunately, I think, you know, success is a difficult word because in some instances, taking a risk can actually be a very good thing. You took the right risk at the right time. You took advantage of an opportunity. Whereas, you know, female investors might miss out on that opportunity. You know, and if you're a female investor and trying to invest in Bitcoin now, that's probably very much too late, right? Where I've got most of the most guy friends 10 years ago, they invested in Bitcoin, you know, and are now sitting smiling. So I don't know if that really answers your question, just to say that I think there is difference. And it isn't necessary that being more conservative leads to greater success. Uh, 100% I agree with you. And thank you for that answer. I just feel very strongly and from my own experience is that ladies in South Africa, especially um, rural people where they don't have access to all the facilities and the information that would be ready available to people in the bigger cosmopolitan centers, 
tend to be very clever and very um, astute when it comes to how to save pennies and how to invest those pennies. And they, they've really got the spirit of what we would call, I suppose, in South Africa, Ubuntu, where they're prepared to work together and share ideas in order to progress it forward. You know, maybe the show's a... So go ahead. Oh, I just want to share. So very much to confirm what you're saying. So we've run uh, savings challenges. So these are, you know, within the Frank community, um, you know, being able to save on a weekly basis. And what's really interesting is 95% of people that subscribe to the saving challenges are women. And as you mentioned, you know, we have almost 50-50 really, just slightly more female investors than male investors. But for the challenge, almost completely women. Um, And not only that, they also wanted to join a WhatsApp group. And these are a WhatsApp group with strangers uh, to encourage each other, to support each other. So it very much speaks to that, so that, you know, they want to create the habit. They are willing to put themselves into, uh, you know, a forum with other women who are also trying to do the same thing and encourage each other to do so. I was really um, struck by that. Okay. Well, I mean, that really just goes to confirm the point that there's just a broadness of spirit and, and a focus as to go forward. You talk about a, a, um, a tax called the pink tax. We know in South Africa, we've got all these taxes that are sort of unique to different people. The pink tax being a tax, essentially, that ladies tend to spend more on dispose of their disposable income on, um, on female items, items that are necessities um, specifically for them. Is there not a male tax, or maybe we should call it a ego tax, where men tend to squander money on things they just don't need? I think there is, um, and I, I think it's uh, not given um, very much airtime, and I think it is worth discussing it. And we are currently, actually, I'm currently uh, at the moment writing a blog article, and uh, you will find it quite funny, but uh, the title of the blog article is Cut Back and Grow a Beard. <laughs> and I think what's interesting about that is obviously in a very small way, as you know, you know, razors cost a lot of money and a simple way to save some money is to grow a beard. But I think your point about, you know, and I think it really comes down to status. A lot of men feel like they have to display that they are successful and whether that's, you know, determining the clothes that they buy or if they go out with friends, how lavish they are in terms of you know, buying drinks for everyone or whatever the case may be. And that basically means you're spending a lot of money on something that's not actually driving you know, value into a sort of a household wealth perspective. So, um, and I think guys need to be aware about that, right? That's the cost that they, that they are spending. And obviously I assume that they're doing it for the right reasons, either whether it's to find a partner or to make friends or whatever the case may be, but definitely something to be cognizant of. Now, Thomas, on that note, have you seen a shift over the last three years? Let's call it a modesty shift because we've definitely seen it in our practice over the last couple of years where let's say maybe 10 years ago, there was this tremendous um, need to show wealth and success by material products and having multiple cars. And when you actually sort of drilling down like we tend to do, we just find that the balance sheet is insolvent because there's there's just so much debt and it's just spiraling out of control. Today, it's almost become a badge of honor to have simplicity, to be minimalistic, to proudly say, I have no debt. 
my bonds are paid off. Yes, I have cash, but I'm not investing it because I'm using it to develop a property that I bought. There's been almost a total mind shift for having to project and propel oneself forward to show an image and now almost having matured to say, no, the correct image is the long-term view. Have you experienced that in your business? We, we have. And where we've seen it the most strikingly is in our younger users. So, you know, we look at, we have users who are, you know, from teenagers to university to high school. And so it's particularly in our university group of users, there's a lot of ambition to be financially um, free, to not be debt-ridden. Uh, a lot of, you know, that sort of generation Z, if you want to call it a name, has seen parents that have been debt-ridden and the consequences of not managing money very well at a household level. So this new generation, I think, is thinking very differently about money. It's less about, I still think, you know, status has, has uh, as a human, you know, we, we always want to show to some degree our status, but it's definitely being uh, diluted with this idea and this ambition of being financially free, um, being smart with your money, knowing how to invest. So, I mean, we have so many university investors. And honestly, I look back at myself when I was at university and investing was the last thing on my mind. And I'm astounded that I see these young people who are coming in, asking good questions, making good decisions about investing for their future. It really, uh, it gives me a strong sense of motivation and encouragement, you know, to see that there's a new generation coming through that really wants to be different. You know, maybe just to share with you a story that's got nothing to do with, but put a, just puts the youth of South Africa into perspective, the tenacity and the drive. My optometrist was telling me a while ago that with this new NASPERS benefit that came through, where students can now access money to have their eyes checked, a student from Wits walked into his practice and sat down and had his eyes checked. And he turned around to the guy and said, what do you do? He says, I'm an engineering student. He said, what year are you in? He says, I'm in third year. He says, you blind. How do you get to third year? He says, it's very simple. I sit in class and I look towards the border. I can see the image and I take a photo of it on my phone. And then I blow it up and I read the notes on my phone almost letter by letter. He says, how do you cross the road, catch a taxi? He says, I know roughly where the taxi, where the stop is. Where, and I just wait with people when they cross, I cross. And for a simple couple of hundred rand, this amazing youngster was just given the ability to compete on an even playing field. So, you know, when we talk about privilege, sometimes we're just going to get a slap in the face of a story like that, where here's a youngster who could not afford to get his eyes checked, but made it to three year, third year of its engineering school. And you just got to take your head off and say, you know, when people walk past you and their shirt might not be so spotless, it's the last thing on their mind. They're just worrying how they're going to have enough energy to study for exams tomorrow. And this is the, the, the just tremendous um, spirit of the South African uh, people going forward. But let's talk about something that's maybe not so wonderful. Is there still a wage gap between male and female professionals in South Africa that you have seen? Sure. I mean, so I have to acknowledge I'm, I don't think I'm necessarily qualified to, to answer that question. 
just because you know I'm not involved in that sector. Um, uh, you know, we as a company, you know, we have a small team of of searching people working full time, and and we uh, try to be as consistent as we can in terms of pay floors, so irrespective of kind of gender negotiations. My only anecdotal evidence is, you know, when it comes down to negotiation uh, around pay packages, I see there still is wiggle room very often. Uh, almost every company allows you to kind of like push, uh, you know, your your salary or your package up and down. And I think that more women should be encouraged more to push back and negotiate harder. So I would, you know, be fully in support of encouraging young women to kind of develop that practice, if you will, like bartering, negotiating, you know, being firm in that uh, negotiation process to ensure that they get the best possible deal that they can for themselves. But in terms of the actual statistics, it's tough to say. What we do see amongst our users, though, our top investors are females. And, you know, that means that, and that's at an absolute balance level. So the, the women, the users who've invested the most through Frank are women. And I think what's interesting there is that it shows that there are women who've got to their sort of mid-career, so sort of, you know, uh, let's say early 30s, they haven't invested yet, largely because, as we discussed earlier, they haven't really been identified as being potential clients. So they haven't made an investment decision. So a lot of these women literally had enormous cash balances in their bank accounts, right? Which I, I would think would be crazy, but they just hadn't got around to making the decision. And as you said in the very beginning, it's such a daunting process. If you've got no financial background, you don't know where to start. And so these women just didn't know what to do didn't have a way in which they could make that decision. And so obviously Frank came along and we were able to solve that for a lot of women. And so these women have now basically invested their money um, appropriate to their ambitions and the goals that they have in their life, um, which is fantastic. David, let me ask you, there's a question coming through here from Loktula. She wants to know, is the Frank app only in English? It is at this stage. Unfortunately, uh, you know, development and engineers is a, a, a sensitive resource. You know, to, they, they, you, you look after them as much as you can and you try and hire as the best engineers that you can. There are tools now that are allowing us to translate the app automatically. Um, and that's something that's actually in our pipeline and we want to look to, to implement. What we do have is obviously the ability to service clients in different languages. So if you do have a question, we have a WhatsApp number, it's available on our website, and we can support all South African languages. So if you do have a question about the experience, about what you are investing in, then you can ask that question and we'll be given support in, in your language. Well, that is phenomenal. And um, my experience is that most people, for example, most Afrikaans-speaking people prefer actually to do the transactions in English because the, the Afrikaans financial terminology is not colloquial, not used all the time. And they tend to find it very challenging. Also, it helps that there's a common language. But the fact that someone can ask a language in Zulu or Koza and then get an answer, you know, and the document and the app being in English, I think sort of covers it uh, uh, across the board. Just uh, another thing that I've found in my experience living here in Israel is that you can often see when a website is Google translated. Number one, it's on the wrong side of the page, and it looks odd. It's hard on the eyes, 
And there are certain words that are translated that make absolutely no sense. So uh, it's all good and well to use those apps, but one's just got to be careful that it's gone through a linguist and it's just put into into colloquial language. Freddie wants to know here, when is the offshore offering going to be available? So we have already partnered with um, a company called iTransact. They're a listed investment services provider, a category three administrator. And what has always been a big challenge for us is helping people invest without a minimum. We believed from the very beginning that that was a key differentiator. So people should be able to invest five rounds, right, into the stock market or into the money market, whichever uh, investment is right for them. But actually that that is a very big challenge in the South African context, largely because there aren't many places where you can invest that money. We found a solution, but it was a temporary solution. The sustainable solution we've now found is a partnership which will keep a no minimum access entry point. So not only will we be unlocking, and we've already uh, initiated that partnership, not only will we be unlocking offshore equities, but we will also be offering uh, retirement products because many people want to have a high quality retirement annuity uh, to invest for their retirement. So there are a host of other products that are uh, and will be available in the Frank app, but the timeline that we're currently looking at is towards the end of this year to ask the question, answer that question directly. So Thomas, you've obviously hit a raw nerve and we've got just under five minutes because I've got three or four questions coming through here to say that uh, the gist of the question is we've always been told that if you don't invest a minimum of X, it is not worthwhile investing. What's the point of investing five grand? So I think it's really important because there are two things that are here. One is obviously the growth, the return that you will get on that money. Um, and obviously there's compound growth, which uh, plays out over time. But the other is habit formation. So I think I want to stress that, you know, what the benefit of investing from a small amount of money, if you've never invested before, is realizing that you have to build up a habit of putting money, not only not spending money, but also actively investing that money. And building up that habit takes time. And you can start anyway. You can start from one round to build a habit. You know, one round a day is a habit that you can form. When it comes to growth, obviously the money market rate applies to all amounts. Right, it applies to one round and applies to a hundred round. Where obviously investing more money has more benefit for you in the long run is when it comes down to compound growth. Compound growth is when you have you know interest or growth that compounds upon itself over time. And obviously, there, if you're able to invest more and the return on that investment is higher, that compound growth is going to be greater in the long term. So, I would always encourage people to invest as much as they can, but. Don't think that you can't invest because you don't have enough money. I think that's something that I would fundamentally dispute and I would encourage everybody to think about starting to create that habit of investing, even if it means just five rounds. You've heard it here on HiFM that here is a platform to get in at one rand. And don't scoff and laugh at it. Go and do it. If you can do one rand, you can do 10, you can do 100 and 1,000 and 10,000. But if you haven't done it yet, go and do it. Thomas, just before I let you go, the obvious question that's coming through here are what percentage are the overall costs for my investment? So we charge a 1% annual fee, uh, and that's an all-in fee. 
So we share that actually with underlying fund manager. So uh, in very simple terms, if you invest 100 rand, you know, you will pay us one rand over the course of a year. So it's actually very low in terms of fee structures. You know, very often, as you may know, if you go to an, an active manager or to an advisor, sometimes you can pay between 3 and 5% of your investments. And some platforms also charge you a transaction fee. So that means you have to pay money in order to put money into the investment. We don't do that. You know, you can deposit for free and you can withdraw for free uh, through our platform. We do have some sort of limits on, on withdrawals because what we want to discourage is people thinking about the investments as an ATM. Mm. Unfortunately, you know, that's what a bank is there for. So, but hopefully you see that as, you know, the, in the spirit that it is designed, which is around a disincentive. We want you to invest for the long term and want to keep costs as simple as possible. So just to confirm that 1% includes the fund manager's fee. So there's not going to be a hidden fee within that 1%. No, not at all. Yeah, we, we pride ourselves on that sort of simplicity and that transparency. So it's just 1%. Fantastic. Thomas, thank you so much. Thank you for coming on. Thank you for being so frank about what you do. And I really encourage everybody to go have a look. Speak about it to people that you employ. Speak about it to your children. Get your children to go on the app and let's go and start a, a, a nation of savers. Craig, thanks for pushing the buttons. Promise everything of the best. Speak to you next week.